This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Hour number two on this Tuesday afternoon in the Mile High City. Sandy Clough, Sean Drotar. Sean joined us from Las Vegas covering Super Bowl 58 in the previous hour. Arif Dean joins us now to talk abs, as he so often does, and uh, quite capably, I might add, as uh, we uh, look at uh, the beginning of uh, their final Arif, uh, their final lengthy road trip of the season last night in New York. And uh, I read your piece, uh, your game story today, and I took away from it that there was good news and there was bad news. The good news was that Alexander Georgiev was the Avalanche's best player last night. The bad news was that Alexander Georgiev was the Az's <laughs> best player last night because they lost the game 2-1, to one, even though I thought he was brilliant. Uh, unfortunately for the Avs, Jonathan Quick, between the pipes for the Rangers, was equally brilliant. Yeah, he was. Honestly, I I think there's more good to take away from that game than bad. My game story was very straight to the point because yes. there wasn't really much to talk about outside of Georgiev for that game, especially without actually chatting with the players afterward. That It just kind of felt, it felt like the players were kind of you know, getting their feet wet again, just trying to catch up to speed, shaking off some rust. We saw Nathan McKinnon. I mean, all the players were kind of fumbling the puck. The passing wasn't crisp. We saw Nathan McKinnon obviously do his Nathan McKinnon thing, score yes. a goal, which we're, we've been accustomed to seeing pretty much every game, which is just wild to see what he's doing. Well, I, I don't but know why you would that, say that. It's only been 33 out of the last 34 games that he's had a play. Yeah, yeah no, no biggie. Just, just yeah. 33 out of the last 34. Isn't I love, by the way... It's it's wild. It's it's so great, and and I love to see not only Nathan McKinnon continue to do his thing, but because of this scoring outburst since that Philadelphia game, he has fifth in the NHL in goals. He's one of the top five scorers. Yeah, thirty two. So yeah, thirty two goals. He's tied with Kucherov. Yep. He obviously has the exact same stat line in one more game. Pasternak's at thirty three, who I believe scored against the Avs a few games ago. Reinhardt, 37, Matthews, 40. Those are the only guys that are at or above McKinnon, which was not something that he was in the race for like a month ago. He was a goal per game in January and then has continued that so far with one goal in one game in February. So it's great to see him doing his things, but I think there was more good to take than bad because despite that, we still saw Alexander Georgiev continue what has quietly been a pretty strong couple weeks now for, for him. Uh, dating back to the Philadelphia game where, yeah, sure, he let in four goals, but he had uh, faced, I believe it was 40 shots, so he was at a 908 percentage. And then he continued that into the game against Philly, or sorry, uh, into the game against Washington where he only surrendered two goals, and then L.A. where he only let in one. And then yesterday, one goal at five-on-five and then a three-on-three goal, which obviously is a coin flip. So four goals in regulation, five goals total, uh, on Alexander Georgiev over his last three games, and the Az are two zero one. So, I think just seeing that is great because do I think the Avalanche are going to score one goal every game? No, they're going to figure it out. They're going to get back to it. That first game out of the break is always a tough one, obviously for both teams. They both looked rusty, um, but if Georgiev's playing this good and the offense 
shakes off the rest of the week and a half long break, well, now you're looking real good like you were against L.A. and Washington a week and a half ago. Yeah, and uh, the game in New Jersey is tonight, uh, second uh, uh, end of a back-to-back, and if they get two points out of uh, this one, I think you take three out of four uh, possible points uh, out of the uh, greater New York uh, New Jersey metropolitan area. In any case, uh, I wanted to ask you what your impressions were of Parise's debut last night. I liked it. I, I, I loved it. I thought yeah. he was terrific. He drew a penalty uh, yep. during the course of the game. I think he had three shots on goal. He played almost 11 and a half minutes, uh, seemed to be uh, in good shape after the game, not fatigued. Uh, uh, some of the other Avalanche players who played a ton might have been a little fatigued uh, when the overtime came around, but uh, Parise seemed very fresh uh, all night long, very noticeable on uh, most every shift with Johansson and Lekkonen. Yeah, my favorite part about what Parise does is he ultimately plays a similar style game with a more skill, with, with a higher skill set and high hockey IQ. Uh, but very similar to what you see out of Logan O'Connor or someone like Andrew Cogliano in the sense where he had, a, that's how he made a living. That's how he was a 40 plus goal scorer and 90 right. plus point producer in New Jersey. And, you know, had all those 30 goals, 60 point seasons in Minnesota was by being a higher skilled version of what you get out of someone like Logan O'Connor and Andrew Cogliano. And the reason why I use both those names, especially the Cogliano one is because Cogliano is a player that we've seen when he first burst onto the scene in the NHL was supposed was touted as one of those new young stars on the Edmonton Oilers with Sam Gagne. We're talking 07, 08, 08, 09, like a long time ago. And then he settled into a role with Anaheim as a third liner playing with a veteran in Saku Koivu. Uh, and, uh, and then he kind of shifted from there into what he's become now. He's been able to adjust with time. Cogliano's continued to make himself a useful player. And that's what I love about the type of game Zach Parise plays. Because I look at someone like Zach Parise and I say, this is Chris McFarland's do-over for the Tomas Tatar signing. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. he gets a do-over <laughs> on that one. Uh, it it yeah. was interesting, though, and I, I'm, I'm sure you picked up on this, uh, to hear him talk about presumably having conversations with the Avalanche going back to uh, uh, the fall. And yeah. being set to play a half a season, training for that. Uh, so he does not come in as a guy who's just been the last four or five months sitting on his couch. Yeah, he's been he's been training for this. But what I what I think is best is number one, a player at his age, it's better for him to kind of conserve until the final thirty three games. This is a guy that's played eighty two games each of the last two seasons right. since that buyout from Minnesota. So I think he's coming in. Uh, not as one of those like, hey, let's flip a coin and see if we hit it. Like you said, someone they've been talking to since the fall, which not only does it come off as a Tomas Tatar do-over for me, it right. almost makes me think they signed Tatar so late because maybe they were waiting on this veteran in Zach Parise right. that maybe was their first choice. Um, because, you know, if you remember back then, we still had no word about Pavel Francois. He was at that Gulf uh the golf tournament that Joe Sackick always has uh, in September. Right. Frankie was there. We saw him on the golf carts. He came and said hi to the media. They still thought they were going to have Francois. So before that salary came off the books and went on to LTIR, right. they barely had enough money to sign Tatar. Yep. So it yep. certainly didn't sound like they were signing both of these guys. 
So it almost makes me feel like Parisi was the guy that they wanted. And when he said, we're going to wait, they shifted to Tatar. Uh, and maybe they would have came back to Parisi anyway, even if Tatar worked out, because why not have more depth? But now that Tomas Tatar is gone and hasn't worked out, you bring in a guy like Parisi, who not only can replace Tatar if things go well, and be on that third line with Wood and Colton, which is where Tatar started. And obviously, I'm not trying to break up the O'Connor line. I'm just saying in terms of a depth chart, that's where Tatar started. But the beauty of having a guy like this is, let's go back to Cogliano, what I said about him. Let's go back to Logan O'Connor, what I said about him. If you have Tatar on the fourth line, let's say with Olofsson and Cogliano, it doesn't fit. Tatar is a player that brings a style of game that he's either scoring goals in the top six or middle six, or he's not going to benefit you. Right. Zach Parisi is the type of player who plays the type of game that can settle into that fourth-line role if or when Michushkin is back and this team is healthy. You can see Cagliano and Parisi, both as wingers on the fourth line, yeah, and it makes sense like because of the type of energy they like bring. That. Like that. So that's, that's what I like about him compared to someone like Tatar, and obviously Tatar does just honestly just didn't work. You know, we have to get the goaltending situation. We heard from Jared Bednar uh, earlier on speaking at length, uh, at more length than he usually speaks with uh, on the goaltending situation. And uh, uh, I, I'm 66 years old, and I certainly remember the day when, you know, a backup might play very, very occasionally back in the original six days, but you had your number yeah. one guy. Now, there's some guys, uh, Toronto was saw Chuck, uh, in the last year of the original six uh, uh, with Sawchuck and Johnny Bauer uh, kind of split the duties. Sawchuck was the hot goaltender in the playoffs and they upset Montreal to win uh, the last Stanley Cup played in the original six year. And of course the Leafs haven't won a Stanley Cup since uh, yeah. the, the original six. But um, I, I remember growing up as a Rangers fan and uh, until Gilles Villemure uh, proved to be an able backup, Ed Jockman was playing in almost all the games. And I remember in the playoffs, uh, especially early in his career when he was playing almost every game, he was gassed by playoff time. Yeah. And he wasn't really effective. And he was a very good goaltender. His first, second team All-Star uh, multiple times uh, in an era of some uh, uh, very fine goaltenders. And I fear for Georgiev in that respect. What's your reading on the situation? Uh, uh, I don't know if Annan is actually getting the start tonight, but that was projected by some earlier in the day that he would. Uh, Prozvatov, uh, I, I'm not sure what's going on there. Uh, will they make a deal uh, between now and the trade deadline for a backup goaltender? What's your reading of the situation? Uh, short of Georgiev playing in 70 to 75 games, which I don't think even Jared Bednar would prefer. So for starters, Eustace Annan is starting and uh, you probably didn't catch that news because it was just announced. The Avalanche are on the ice right now in New okay. Jersey and it has All become right. apparent to the point where even the Avalanche account just tweeted it out a couple minutes okay. ago that Very Eustace good. is getting the first. So yeah, so that, yeah. that solves that issue. Yeah. When Annan came in for that game uh, a couple weeks back and then he was sent back down and Georgiev played everything after that. Right. It was simply because Jared Bednar knew heading into the All-Star break, Georgiev's getting every start from here on out. Was Annan exceptional in his one game? No. But 
one game isn't enough of a leash to say, do we have something here? Well, that was the so, Ottawa game, right? Where they got way correct. behind and came back to win 7-4. Yep. And yeah. similar to the Philadelphia game, right. uh, four goals right. against, but right. 40 shots against. So yeah. Nice, yeah, I thought he played all right. 36 yeah. out of 40, that's uh, 900. Yeah. Um, certainly this year for the Avalanche, 900 is probably <laughs> uh, uh, kind of the line of demarcation. Uh, yeah, I mean it's kind of it's kind of become the line of demarcation in the NHL in general. So yeah, hasn't it? What? Yeah, yeah. It, it absolutely has. The the uh, save percentage, the average save percentage around the league continues to drop, and this year is no different. But the way that I read it is, Eustace Annan is going to get a game today. He's going to get maybe two or three of the next seven or eight or something, and they're just going to kind of – and that's just a complete prediction on my end, depending on how today goes, because he's going to need to play good in one to go to the next one. But the Avalanche, they're going to give him one final shot to truly see what they have. And if he's not going to be able to step up into a backup role, I genuinely believe the backup goalie will be the first move they make. Will it be the only move they make? Probably not. We all know this team needs some depth. We all know they need a second-line center if they can swing a Ryan Johansson deal. But I do think a goaltender is of priority for Chris McFarland. He said as much when he spoke on – a podcast with Daily Faceoffs Frank Saravalli a couple of weeks ago. He said right. that goalies, you know, right. he doesn't want his goalie to be playing as much as he is. It's it's funny when you bring up your childhood and watching goalies because you know just as recent as 2016-17, Cam Talbot played 73 games. Yeah, 2015. Well, after well, Bender wasn't Stanley wrong Cup. in saying that yeah. goaltenders uh, over the decades have played in certain cases. Uh, almost every game. He wasn't wrong about that. I'm, I'm just wow. saying that uh, I know Georgiev wants to play after sitting behind Shesterkin, and he yeah. obviously was going to play last night because he, yeah, he yeah. always brings his A game to Madison Square Garden. That's always yeah. going to be true. Uh, but uh, I, I, it's good to see Annan, and, and I, I, if he plays well tonight, maybe see him again on this trip, right? Yeah, exactly. That's, that's kind of the way that I see it. I mean, like, the way that goaltending has evolved to the point now where 2006-07, Joe Sackick was still in the NHL. Marty Berger played 78 out of 82 games. We yeah. just don't yeah. see those numbers anymore. Oh, Patrick wanted to play all the time, too. Patrick wanted exactly. to play. Exactly, yeah. Now, now we're in an era where hitting 60 starts in itself is a lot. And, and uh, the reality is that is reserved for the best in the league. You know, last year, UC Soros played 64. We consider him one of the best. Yeah. Connor Hellebuck played 64. Yeah. Jake Ottinger played 62. Ilya right. Sorokin played 62. Yeah. Andre Vasilevsky played 60. You'll notice I skipped over one name. Soros, Hellebuck, Ottinger, Sorokin, Vasilevsky. You can argue those are five of the best goalies in the NHL. Right. The only other guy that played 60 last year, Alexander Georgiev played 62. Right. Right. Is he at the level of those goalies? Probably not. Hopefully, he will be soon. Last year, last year he was of, pretty close, though. Last yeah, year, last year he was. But but you don't want to see it year after year. Oh, and not yet. Absolutely, after. you're right. Uh, you don't yeah. you, you don't want to see him playing 60, 65 games year after year after year after year. No. But the crazy part is they have thirty two games left. Obviously, Annan is going to play today, so let's yeah. say thirty one games left. Right. Of the final thirty one, you need somebody else to play twelve games just to keep Georgiev at sixty. So nineteen. To I know. 12. I know. I know. And I, I'm not saying that's going to happen, but I also yeah. don't want him playing 28 out of the remaining 31 either. 
Exactly. Yeah. Right. So that's kind of my that's kind of my point to go back to this entire discussion is if Eustace Annan doesn't step up the way this team needs, where they can just trust another goalie, yeah, that's all they're trade. asking for. Yeah. I genuinely believe that the first move they make will be to bring in another goalie because that's what right. this team needs more than anything is to have a healthy Alexander Georgiev, a healthy and refreshed Georgiev for game one of the playoffs. More importantly than any other thing, that's what they need. Great um, stuff. Great stuff, yeah. Arf, uh, as always. Right. We we appreciate it. Uh, I know the uh, game's just about to start uh, uh, here, if it hasn't already, and uh, uh, we will let you go. But as always, it's been a pleasure. Absolutely. Let me leave you. Let me leave you real quick, Sandy, with the most unbreakable record in NHL history, and it is not anything by Wayne Gretzky. All right. Chicago Blackhawks goaltender Glenn Hall in the 1950s started. 502 consecutive regular season games as an NHL goalie. With we no mask. Never see that. With no yeah, mask. with no mask. At but we time. will never yeah. see that record. You can argue no, someone no. will score oh, more no. goals than Gretzky, more points. 500 no plus games in a row. No, no, no. <laughs> I, I mean, that's that. that, that it, I mean, Cal Ripken's record is more breakable than that, yeah. that record from Glenn Hall. Uh, Four consecutive games played at 502. That that is yeah, remarkable. Good stuff. That is Good the stuff. evolution of the goaltender. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Good stuff. Thanks, Arif. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. There yep. he goes, Arif Dean, and we will continue. Sean Grotar visiting earlier today in Las Vegas with Brian Billick, the championship coach from the Baltimore Ravens, going back to the 2000 season. Brian Billick, always fun to listen to. And we'll hear from him next, right here on Mile High Sports. Stay with us. Welcome back to Sandy and Sean. I'm Sean Drotar, live from Radio Row at Super Bowl 58 in Las Vegas. We've been fortunate to talk to this gentleman a couple of times on the program. Super Bowl winning coach, Super Bowl 35 with the Baltimore Ravens, Brian Billick. Coach, nice to have you. Thank you for having me. Always great to visit in Denver. Yeah, it, it is a lot of fun to be able to talk to you about all these games, and especially now we get to Super Bowl, it's, it's the big one. Yeah. And we're looking at the two teams that – Perhaps there's a little bit of fatigue from fans across the country because both of these teams have been either winning titles or in the Super Bowl or very, very close to it with regularity. But when I, I look at these rosters, and I, I've mentioned this before, but only six players from the Chiefs offense and the 49ers offense were in the last Super Bowl matchup. That's how much things turn around. So it's a, it's a tribute to these organizations. It's not as easy to keep at that level where these organizations have been because even though they're back year after year after year, Turnover in the NFL is 35 to 40% of every single Absolutely, year. and that's the key because there, there, there is going to be that change. Or, you know, pro football organizations are living, breathing entities, and they change and they grow. And like you said, there's going to be that changeover with free agency, and that's the challenge right now, and, and the coaches have done a great job of making sure that they, they follow the lead of their players that do have the experience. That's the challenge on Super Bowl week right now is how do I keep this week feel normal? 
Because at the end of the day, guys, practice is practice. Actually, the game is the game. We know how to do that. You've done that. It's all the peripheral things that now come into play. Radio Row, we're in Las Vegas. The pregame is longer. The halftime is like no halftime you've ever been a part of. You've got to coach them through that, basically to let them know that you've got a plan. We've been here before. We know how to deal with this to give them a comfort zone so they don't wear themselves out emotionally. You talk about that halftime. That That's something that I don't think a lot of people consider, but obviously it's quite a bit longer. How do you approach that when you, you look at it, whether you are up or you're down? You know, what, what do you normally do and then realize we have to alter this? Is everyone just sort of quiet or do you really keep it busy trying to? Well, we, we prepared the phone. We actually practiced the halftime for they understood, look, it's going to be longer. So what we're going to normally you come in, you go to the bathroom, you, you do whatever you can do to kind of figure out what are we going to do? And then you're back out on the field. It's very quick. We actually create a structure where they'd come in, do the normal thing, have quick meeting, stretch. We, we stretched as a team in the locker room. Now, whether that made a difference or not, I don't know, but at least the players felt like, okay, we got a plan. Structure, we right? know what we're doing for this. Then we'd meet again real quickly, and then you go back out. Basically, just to, to even if it's a placebo, to give them, we know what we're doing here. It is different. We're dealing with it so we can get back into that comfort zone of being back on the field. So when you are looking at this this game in particular, you look at the coaches, and that's a lot of it, right? They're living, breathing entities, but the culture actually does matter. Sometimes we talk about culture, and it's not as big a deal as, as some people expect, especially in certain sports. But in football, when you have the leadership, whether it's at the GM level plus the coach level, and then hopefully the quarterback level in many cases, especially today, right. then you do kind of have a culture. But when you look at what Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch have done on one side, and you look at Brett Veach and Andy Reid on the other side, uh, the quarterback's been there for the Chiefs. The quarterback hasn't been there for the Niners. They were hoping at this point this would be Trey Lance, and it right. didn't work out. They were able to adjust, and and Brock Purdy's where he is. But that part of, of the culture of building football, is it always top-down, or does some of it work its way up from the bottom? No, it's it both. And, and when you really have something going is when you have enough players as a basis because that's who the players are really going to follow. You can set a tone as a coach, and you can try to set that structure. But in our Super Bowl team, we had some great veteran all-time, Rod Woodson, Shannon Sharp, Jonathan Ogden, certainly Ray Lewis, that that they you could lean on them following your gatekeepers. you got to make sure that they're on board. Uh, I, I tell a story all the time. I knew the minute we were going to beat the New York Giants in Super Bowl 35 was we were in Tampa. And we had to go to one of those Florida directional schools to practice, Northwest, Eastern, whatever. And traffic in Tampa being what it is. And I didn't, I was a coach, never had a lot of rules. We had no bed check, no curfew. The whole time I was the coach in the NFL and, and uh, as a head coach and even at the Super Bowl. But I said, guys, I want you to and from practice on the bus, okay? Just because the we got an escort and I want to know that you get there, they get you back. Well, after our first practice, we're walking out of the locker room. I'm behind Shannon Sharp and one of our young players. They don't know I'm there. And the young player looks at Shannon and says, my aunt and uncle are here. What, oh, you think coach let me ride back with them? And Shannon could have easily, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, that's the coach's job. You deal with that. But I knew that my gatekeepers were in charge because Shannon looked at the young player and said, coach said we're going to and from practice on the bus. Get your butt on the bus. Right then I knew my gatekeepers were in charge. The young players were following them. We were going to be in good shape. Let's bring that back to the Denver Broncos, obviously, where Sean Payton and George Payton as well are trying to create a culture under new, relatively new ownership. So a lot of this has been in flux. Payton's just finished his first year. George Payton's been a little longer, only the second season for new ownership. The first one, they were kind of getting their feet wet as a, as a new group in the NFL. 
the Broncos don't have a, a lot of all pros. They do have a tremendous man of the year candidate in, in Justin Simmons, who's been that way multiple times. Garrett Bowles this year has been that candidate for the Broncos. But Simmons has been with the Broncos since 2015, since the year after the Super Bowl. Right. He's been on a losing team ever since. Right. He's done Yeoman's work. But how many more players do you need like that to create that culture? Is it talent based or is it the person? Well, it's both. Ultimately, that leadership is going to stem from the talent. You right. can have the greatest guys in the world, but if they're not talented, if they can't deliver for the teammates, they're not going to follow them. Um, so, yeah, you want to build up as big a base as you can. You want that base of guys that they can lean on when, when you hit that storm that they – are we okay? Are we doing okay? Obviously, job one for them is where are we at the quarterback position? That's got to be set. Uh, so that the players understand this now gives us a chance for you then to establish that culture that certainly Sean Payton is familiar with, but he knows he's going to have to establish like he did when he brought in Drew Brees and was able to start that. that that's obviously job one. Going to that point now, the Senior Bowl is behind us. Some of the draft process will really start in earnest, you know, after, after the Super Bowl wraps up next week. But for the Broncos, for Sean Payton, they know they need a quarterback if they're moving away from, from Russell Wilson. This is always sort of the question I have when you talk about drafts, right? The idea of when you, you love a guy, go get a guy. They pick 12th. The Caleb Williams, Drake May, Jaden Daniels, almost certainly going to be gone. Now you're in the Bo Nix, Michael Penix, J.J. McCarthy uh, kind of group of quarterbacks who a lot of at least the evaluators believe it may be end of the first round, second round guys. Broncos don't have a second round pick. They do need a quarterback. Is this a situation where if you run through these guys and let's just hypothetically say, Bo Nix, because off of the uh, the Parcells tree, Sean Payton right. always says the same thing. The more starts a college quarterback gets, the more I like him. So let's just say it's Bo Nix. Nobody really thinks Bo Nix is probably wor worth, I've used finger quotes here, the 12th pick in the draft. But that doesn't necessarily apply to any specific team. Your no. team situation throws all that out the window. No, the, the idea of, of is a player, is it a good pick, a bad pick, because you've got him later. That's all valid observation unless you're talking about quarterbacks. If you make the evaluation, this is a legitimate pro quarterback, that this can be the guy, doesn't matter where you take him. So that's really the fundamental. And, and history will tell us that 50% of the time in the first round, you're going to be wrong. I don't care who you are. It's a 50-50 proposition. There's no reason all of those guys shouldn't be great pros. Just like there's no reason that Justin Fields, Bryce Young, uh, Sam Darnold, Baker Mayfield, the list goes on and on. There's no reason they shouldn't have been top NFL quarterbacks. So you go in understanding it's a 50-50 crapshoot, okay? So they have to make the fundamental decision, which of these guys are that? There'll be multiple, maybe maybe only one. If you think it's only one, then you got to do everything, and you think he's in front of you, you got to go get him. Now, if you're lucky enough that you've got, you value, say, a Bo Nix, and you think he's a legitimate guy, and that's where it begins. You, you, that's where you make your money. Is he a guy? Knowing that we got a 50-50 chance of being right, then then you take him at 12. 12 is an interesting pick because typically when you're talking about the teens, it's usually it's one of two things. Now, let's remember, Patrick Mahomes was a 12th. Right. But it's usually a guy that is there because for some reason he's been nixed enough that he falls out of the top five or ten. So he drops that position, which is a cautionary tale, or it's your reach. He really belongs in the twenties, but you're reaching out a need and you bring him in. And you look at the 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 history of eleven through twenty; it's spotty. Yeah. It's spotty everywhere. 
but it's it's for that reason. So you gotta you gotta ignore all that and decide. Do we think this guy's a guy or not? San Francisco thought Trey Lance was that guy, and they were wrong, and it ended up being the last pick in the draft. So that shows you that there, there's a little bit of danger in this. But it begins with: Do you think he's a guy or not? If not, you take him where you if you can get him, and if not, you move up to get him. this you're not going anywhere without a quarterback. Uh, you. If you're, you're getting to watch us on video, you see the uh, the coat that Coach is wearing, Signal Relief. We've talked about it a little bit before. SignalRelief.com is the website. It's a simple patch that basically uh, sort of blocks the signal from your Correct. brain to where uh, the, the pain goes. Uh, I actually I have one on on my shoulder right uh, there, now. Then you I, know. I, I, I love did. those testimonials. Yes. The real I, deal. I tried one this morning. So, yeah. But, but what have you seen? signal that, that well just that it, uh, what i love about it, it i mean the ultimate healing comes from your ability to work through the pain work the muscles and the joints play i worked with pro players for 40 years and you go into a, a pro training room there are hundreds of thousands of dollars stem machines whirlpools hydrotherapy pools all with the idea of getting them to be able to deal with that prohibitive pain to get them back on the back practice field this does the same thing it's reusable so it's very cost effective what i love you put it where you need it if I'm 18 holes of golf, I'm going to put it on my lower back. If I get out of the pool three days a week, I swim. It's my shoulder or my my upper back. That helps you deal with that little bit of prohibitive pain that now allows me to work through that pain because now you work the muscles, the joints through that. The more you do, the better you feel. The better you feel, the more you do. It's a great product for that. It's reusable. 100% money back guaranteed. If you don't like it, you will like it. Uh, very, very easy to use. And I tell you what, it's the real deal. It's going to block that little bit of prohibitive pain that keeps you from doing what it is you need to do to get back in the yeah, game. Yeah, when the muscles are tight, if you can't move them, they can't get better. That's just the way the it more is. you Motion do, the better you feel, the better you feel, up, yeah, the more you do. Exactly. Motion's medicine. Well, if you want to try it for yourself, you can go to signalrelief.com. Uh, coach Brian Billick has a promo code for you. It's easy. Just coach 20% off. Can't beat Signalrelief.com and, and check it out. So, Coach, always a treat to talk to you. Thank you. It's, it's fun to come out and get to do it in person once a year. Love it. But always uh, appreciate having the opportunity. Very to good. Enjoyed it. Thank and, you. Yeah, thanks so much. Coach Brian Billick. Welcome back to Sandy and Sean. I'm Sean Drotar, live from Radio Row in Las Vegas, Super Bowl 58. Joining us, Mike Yam of NFL Network. Mike, uh, thanks for joining us. Absolute pleasure. Man, we got all the, the fanfare, the hoopla, Radio Row. I'm sure you guys are having a blast. Yeah, obviously it is fun. And in Vegas, uh, this is a city that's been wanting this forever. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it wasn't that long ago there were no sports teams in Las Vegas. And the idea was verboten. And now, of course, you have... Uh, teams of all varieties. The A's are coming as no. well. You know, it's a, it's a gold rush coming to, to Vegas. Yeah. And now it's the perfect city to actually host a Super Bowl because it's built for this kind of thing. Yeah, for sure. You know, and over the years, it's funny because I've been here the last couple of years because the East West Shrine Bowl was here in Vegas and moved to Dallas this up this past season. But to me, there and then all the years doing Pac-12 because we had our conference tournament uh, here at, at T-Mobile. So it was a ton of fun. But you're right, this this congregation of sports, because you're right, when, I, when, I, when we were younger, it's like it was so taboo. Oh, right. Funny, because, you know, I was watching yesterday on NFL Network. We were doing Roger Goodell's press conference, and I couldn't help but notice the amount of questions about betting and gambling. And look, I, I think that would have remained even if the Super Bowl wasn't here in Vegas. But I think to your point, the there all of a sudden was more of these questions, I think, based off of the location of this year's Super Bowl. Yeah, in fact, for those who are looking at this on video, if you could see all the way, all the way over there between me and Mike, there's literally NFL slot machines sitting at the end of Radio Row. So, I mean, <laughs> Vegas is going to Vegas. That's just how it's going to work. No question. But before we get into the game, of yeah. course, you know, you have been with the Pac-12 Network for a while, and I would yeah. say former, but we're all former Pac-12 now, aren't we? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's sad to see. I, I would argue, of all the sports stories that are out there, and I'm saying from a sports perspective – 
the demise and what we're seeing dissolving of the Pac-12 conference, I think, is the saddest sports story you're going to see. Uh, the tradition, the history, the rivalries, West Coast dominance, to me, the fact that we're not talking about this league moving forward is is it sucks. There's no other word to use. Could you imagine if Washington had won the championship? That would be the most Pac-12 thing ever to happen right. to the Pac-12. I mean, all the years, honestly, knocking on the door, uh, the the fighting, the narrative of the the teams being competent enough to go and win. I, I can't even tell you how many times, Sean, I was making the case for Utah being one of the premier teams in the in about to say the NFL in college football, and yet still falling short. The success that Oregon has had over the years. It was sad. I mean, hell, like, you know, that's not too far removed from Mike McIntyre being the head coach there and playing for a Pac-12 championship against a really good team like Washington, still seeing some of those guys on that CU roster playing in the NFL. It's mind boggling to me that this is the conversation. Yeah, it really it really is kind of stunning in that regard. And now we're getting to these super conferences. You, you brought up the Buffaloes. Obviously, uh, we cover them a lot on, on the yeah, program. Yeah. And uh, for, for you the had Buff- something to talk about. A little bit. And, uh, you know, the, the excitement, of course, this this time last year, Deion Sanders was recruiting Hall of Famers, uh, nieces, nephews, kids in the middle of the NFL honors speech yeah. last year and, yeah. and building all of that hype. Now, Colorado had fallen into irrelevance. This is a team that had won a national championship yeah. at one point and they had fallen into irrelevance. I think that the Deion Sanders made them relevant again and they had a hot start. But the truth is they crash landed. The season was skidded to a halt in some pretty ugly fashion. But. It, it's fascinating to see what Sanders is doing, and I'm curious to get your point on it because we talked about, you almost said NFL. Well, NIL is changing things dramatically, <laughs> yeah. and Sanders seems to understand that selling it, maximizing it, coming to Colorado gets you eyeballs, which yep. gets you paid. Even though the program itself had been irrelevant, relevance is back. But now, to stay relevant, you have to be good. Yeah. Do you think that Deion Sanders, from what you've seen in the first season, can continue now looking with, uh, Pat Shermer, presumably, is offensive yeah. coordinator. They still haven't hired a defensive yeah. coordinator. Do you feel that this can be sustainable? Because we're at a point where Deion Sanders has never not coached his sons. Yeah. And next year, that's going to come to an end. To me, look, I don't know if he's long for this job. It was one of the concerns that I had when it was announced. But if you would have said to, to Rick George when he made the hire, this is what the path is going to be after the first campaign. We're going to be the talk of the sports world. I mean, the reality is every time I was at NFL Network and I look up at one of our monitors, it's one show from ESPN. It's another show from Fox. They were all congregating in Boulder. And I think anyone in in your audience knows. I mean, look, I got to travel all over the West Coast and see a lot of the Pac-12 teams out there. Boulder was my favorite spot. If you go that to that downtown, it's the perfect mix of having a little bit of life, a little bit of that college vibe. The resources are better. I mean, when I got to see you, I remember my first year, I was there with Rick Neuheisel. Rick would tell me the facilities that were there at that point, and this is 2012, 2013, were the same ones that Rick had when he was the head coach there. Now it's changed dramatically. Oh, yeah. Great practice facility. Uh, you know, the upgrades to that locker room. Things are in place here. And Dion. Look, I think there's a lot of concerns of where college football is going right now, where it was. If there's one guy in the game that can capitalize on the current rules, whether it's the portal or it's NIL, it's prime. And to me, that's the biggest reason why I think that's that team can have success. I'm intrigued to see what you think about this as well, because it seems in the national side that there is this idea that he's not long for the job. He'll be going somewhere sure. else. But let me offer a counterpoint. I'd like to see what you think about it. Uh, Deion Sanders is off the, I'm not making the direct comparison, but the, the, the Nick Saban bold by the time he retired in, he's not calling the plays on offense or defense. Sure. He's not calling plays. He's managing the clock. He's working the refs, but he's not calling plays on CEO. Campaign. Right. But 
at the NFL level, that's not the same kind of thing. And Deion Sanders, I think, even understands he's not really an NFL coach, nor does he even necessarily be interested in doing so because the expectations are so different. So I think he, he's a good fit in college where he's going to stay and be able to maximize his ability. Yeah. The question is bigger programs. Of course, his name got floated and so when Saban retired. But if you're a program like Alabama, you don't necessarily need Deion Sanders. Colorado was desperate, basically handed over the keys, said, you drive the car. We need to be back to relevance. But yeah. I'm not sure if you're the the Bamas, the Texases, the Ohio States, with these, these large uh, alumni bases, this well-oiled machine, they don't need necessarily what Deion Sanders brings. And I'm not sure that he might not stay in Colorado longer than a lot of people think. So I... I don't know if I, I wouldn't fight you to the death on it. The only pushback that I would have is the landscape is changing so dramatically Certainly. that when Nick Saban rolls up and he, let's say he's still the coach at Alabama, there's a certain amount of cachet that comes with that. And players want to go there because he's my ticket to the NFL. And I think if I step back and go, all these dudes can immediately flip and enter the transfer portal that's the equalizer to all of this. Yeah. And I think there's concerns about Kalen DeBoer, right? Does he have ties to Alabama? The answer is no. Is that a recruiting hotbed that he has had a ton of success with? The answer is no. But I don't know if that necessarily matters moving forward. And the equalizer when it comes to the portal, NIL, Dion. Look, if Alabama wanted Dion, for example, he goes there. I, I think there's less questions about whether or not he can succeed because he's going to be able to pull all of those guys. Let's let's be real here. If he gets that job, is there the amount of exodus from you know five star recruits that all of a sudden are going to go to Georgia? And the answer and is probably not. Not as if Kalen DeBoer's resume was not spectacular. No question. I mean, the percentage is ridiculous, and, but you're right. That's part of it. Some of them, by the way. Uh, poking their heads over up in Boulder yeah. too as well. Let's switch to the Super Bowl. Of course, we're talking with Mike Yam of the NFL Network. This is a rematch of the Super Bowl a couple of years oh, ago, yeah. but there actually aren't as many players involved. You yeah. know, obviously you're talking about uh, a lot of the key components, the coaches, you're looking at Patrick Mahomes, of course, Travis Kelsey, George Kittle, but a lot of it's been overhauled. What have you made of the run from the Niners this year and then this late season run where it feels like the Chiefs at points of the season were sleepwalking through it oh, yeah. because they know how good they are? And it, to me, has felt like Mahomes does Mahomes things. He's a wizard. But it's been Kansas City's defense that I think has really shocked people in the last month. No question. It's real flipping the identity of that team. And look, as I'm, we're here at Radio Raw, I'm looking up. I see 15 on a huge banner and Travis Kelsey. Those are the identifiable names. But the reality is, if you look at this team's defense, whether it's Jones up front on, the, on uh, you know, uh, creating havoc for opposing quarterbacks, if it's Trent McDuffie, another guy who's packed 12 ties right. when he was at Washington, this defense is the biggest reason why they're here at this stage to shut down a Ravens team the way that they did was remarkable and nothing short of spectacular. I look at that team going on the road and beating a Buffalo squad the way that they did. We're talking a Miami team. Off the top of my head, Sean, I think it's like one, four, and six in terms mm -hmm. of the total offenses that that defense shut down to get here. If that doesn't scare you as a Niners fan, I don't know what will, but I think you make a really good case that's not discussed nearly enough. This team from Super Bowl 54, this Niners squad, is not the same. We were doing this on NFL Network the other day. I turned to Brian Balding. I said, Baldy, look at the names of the dudes who were on this roster then that are that or the roster now that weren't then. It is, it's straight up like absolute beast. It's the Christian McCaffrey's of the world. Brandon Ayuk, you know, this team has invested financially. They got like the top. You know, they got like six or seven of the top paid, top three paid uh, players at their respective positions. Right. So there's been a real financial commitment for this team to go and win. And I think it's got to be gratifying for that front office that they're one win away from the Super and Bowl. And it gives them an opportunity to have a 
quarterback on a rookie deal, which is how 100%. you can do that. And of course, yeah. the bill eventually comes due. So, yeah. and uh, it will come due. And yeah, I think what's going to be fascinating. The, it feels like the window's open right now, right? Hundred percent. I mean, yeah, you won't be able to keep everyone when you nope. have to pay Purdy. Yeah. And so then, that makes this interesting. You know, and I don't know if Purdy gets one of those massive mega deals the way the narrative is, but I don't know if San Francisco is here without Brock Purdy. So I think those who have continued to call him a game manager, I I don't know how fair that is. Is it a bad thing? I've looked at it. I'm not really sure when people look at it. He Purdy drives the ball downfield at an average rate as high as anyone in the league. 100%. So he's, he's pushing the ball downfield. Yeah. It, it becomes now where defense is, I think, very clear it's about turning the ball over, yeah. right? I mean, that's what it's you, – you can't really stop yeah. offenses between the 20s. So you're hoping you kind of lock it down, hold them to three when it could be six. Yeah. You're trying to make sure that you can turn the ball over where you can and be opportunistic. So I think it becomes incumbent on quarterbacks more than it ever has 100%. to avoid turnovers. We call that a game manager. But today, that's winning football. I love the way that you describe it. What we've been saying on Total Access recently is game CEO. I think it's an elevated way of looking at what Brock Purdy has done because there is a negative connotation to just being that game manager. But you're right. Not turning over the football is going to be key in this game because the reality is if the Niners fall in a hole in the first half like they've done in these last two playoff games, I don't. that is so much of an uphill battle. I don't know if they can overcome that against this Chiefs team. Yeah, it will be interesting to see, obviously. Mike Yam with NFL Network. Uh, where, where can they find everything? Of course, the NFL Network is omnipresent here <laughs> this week, but you in particular, what should people keep an eye on? Uh, absolutely. Social media at Mike underscore Yam. Uh, we got Total Access, which is the show that I get to work on throughout the course of the season. Seven Eastern time is when you can catch it on NFL Network. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early, so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.